You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez. And before we get going, let me introduce the guys. Over here on my right, we've got Martin Page. Hi there, Mike. It's good to be here. It's good to see you, brother. It's good to see you, too. And then joining us again for the second podcast, we've got Nick Peck. Hello, Mike. How are you? Good. Good to see you, Nick. You, too. And finally, the one and only Iron Man of the Audio Mm. Nowcast, I will never miss a podcast, Mr. Rob Arbiter. Unbelievable. Woo. Calling in from Skype, how is everybody doing? <laughs> <laughs> We're doing great. And how many podcasts is this now that I haven't missed? Uh, this is uh, 136. Oh, my God. Woo. Oh, my God. Wow. 136. Wow. That's, All right. That's well, a- see you later. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He does deserve a medal, doesn't he? That, should, right. be, that should be a medal. He, he officially made it. Now he's, yeah. he's going away. 120 is the limit. No, no, no. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I wish I could be where, there with you guys. I hope to be there at the next one, which I know is coming up pretty soon. Yeah. Hey, he's such a trooper that yeah. you know he's yeah. not even filmed that that great, and he's joining us. No, so. it's great. Well, and I'm, I'm sure I hold the record from the most different cities I've attended the podcast from because I can think of five. <laughs> that, that is true. <laughs> that is true. And uh, and joining us today, we are blessed to have Brian Fairweather joining us. Thank you, Mike. Good evening. It's good to see Brian with us. It's going to be. Uh, I'll tell you what, guys. This it's going to be a retro podcast. Well, this is going to be an interesting podcast because, oh, I'll be honest, it was supposed to be a totally different show, and we had guests lined up, and um, things More kinda... exciting guests, better guests. <laughs> <laughs> so the substitutes came <laughs> Now we know how you really It's going to be more mind. subdued. I didn't say that. <laughs> um, we were, no, it was just going to be a different show, but uh, as things kind of uh, evolved or devolved. <laughs> um, but actually... You know, we, the one thing that was going to be consistent on the whole show is um, back um, in podcast 135, I think, um, which is the last podcast. Um, you know, we just I just happened to mention um, the passing away of some of our friends in the music industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just want to take the time on this this first um, – the first half to talk about one of our friends um, – Mike Shipley, mm-hmm. and I know he was really good friends with both you guys because yeah. Yeah. you worked with him um, while well, he mixed your album, Martin. Yeah. But you also worked with him in the early days of his career, and when engineering was was different, and you know, and, and his death, you know, the dire circumstances and everything surrounding it. I just think it's it's a really good time to um, just kind of look back and and talk about him and a little bit about his career and and and. Actually, in the music industry itself and, and things and how things are changing. But let's go back. Um, when did you, Brian or, or Martin, when did you well, meet? It was th- over 30 years ago, right? Yeah. It's got to be over 30 years ago. Because, yeah. Uh, we're talking 1983, um, probably 1982 when we first started writing the album. We started looking for engineers. And um, Mike Shipley uh, was involved in the engineering and the mixing of the Q-Feel album. And uh, he was such a um, a sobering influence. When you know, Martin and I got together, we were kind of crazy. We didn't really know a lot of what we were doing engineering-wise. This guy really grounded us. He was an excellent person, an excellent engineer, and um, just so talented. You know, he he was a musician, really. He was yes. a musician as an engineer, mm-hmm. and uh, he's going to be sorely missed. You know? um, 
really yeah. quick, Martin, why don't you know for the people that know who he was? Why don't you tell them about some of his credits, some of the things that he did? Well, as Brian said, you know, we we were very lucky as young kids to uh, bump into Mike in London when he was starting off, and he was. Um, just beginning to work for Jive Records and uh, working with Mutt Lang, you know, so really everybody, he exploded on the scene in those days with Def Leppard. But before that, he'd been involved with even the Sex Pistols' first record and some of Queen's early recordings. And as Brian said, he he lived the music. He really was, when we came into contact with him as a young band, we just knew we'd met a, a sonic genius. And he was... Um, so sensitive to every part of music that we loved. If you could mention any band, T-Rex, you could mention Bob Marley, you could go through to, you know, um, anything from even classical. Or And he knew it all. He was very, very up on it. And as Brian said, we didn't really realize until we went to the memorial that he was also a drummer and he was a good singer. And he mm-hmm. kept all this r- rather quiet because he was just a, he was a humble man. But his credits went on, you know, to work with Tom Dolby, um, on an exceptional album called Flat Earth. And then he went on to do Johnny Mitchell with T- Tom Dolby. He also did Steve McQueen album with uh, Prefab Sprout, which I think are sub- sublime records. And then, of course, he, got, he, was, he was Mutt Lang's main engineer. So all the huge Def Leppard records that exploded th- through that time of the 80s and 90s. And he went on with Mutt to do Shania Twain and have great success with that. And only recently, and I mean, he did all the big rock bands, you know, that happened all through that period. But recently, you know, he won a Grammy for doing the Alison Crawl record. Um, So he came back after a hiatus and... Um, and I know he'd stopped working for a while because he wasn't happy with how the music business was really treating a lot of his mixes because there was this over-compression and loudness. He was such an sensitive guy that really why me and Brian are sat here tonight is that we were very shocked by um, losing him because he was younger than us. It was the first person I've lost that was close to me. And he worked th- with me through the House of Stone and Light album. Right. So I was in the trenches with him through that. He right. also did Josh Groban, Me Moreno. Yeah. So whenever I had a project, I always called him first. And I always felt like he was... I had three great engineers. I was very lucky. I had Gazowski, Mick Gazowski, uh, Bill Bertrell, and Shipley. And they're all different for different reasons. But Mike had such a influence on me on all the work i ever did at home on my demos and everything and even my recent records i tend to mix thinking about him and how he had such a sensitivity to sound so it was just an incredible shock to me and brian and it's caused it's actually (coughs) caused us to um pull together again and say you know um when you lose a friend like that, you realise that you you have to reach back to the people that you worked with uh, that are still doing it. So he was he was uh, actually I would say a genius yeah. at the board, you know. And it's very rare to be in a studio and go. I felt so safe. Didn't we feel so safe with him, Brian? Well, it's we a, knew everybody that worked with Mike learned yeah. something from him. I mean, it, it was one of those. It was a, it was a school, mm-hmm. you know. He being in the studio with Mike, he he had um, just a knack for like. Getting a vote, you could put forty six, fifty, mm-hmm. sixty tracks on on something, and he would pull out all the the important stuff. 
mm-hmm. and you know he he just he just knew that you know whatever, whatever it was. I mean, I'm not an engineer, but you know he knew the frequency that needed yeah. to be heard, right? Um, and he just surrounded that vocal or that guitar with space, right? So you could hear it, and and there weren't many engineers that really understood that. And he was a natural. Yeah. I mean, he he was a real natural at pulling out the essence of what needed to be heard, and that's why uh, Mutt Lang worked with him yeah. you know him. what was yeah. interesting you said something about him being an engineer of a different era because he was you know more musician more yes. more um collaborator well just think what he was schooled on you know he came through the wessex studios with bill price so they were doing you know the the um the Clash. They were doing um, Sex Pistol, and you had Bohemian Rhapsody happening with Queen. And I know he loved Queen, so he started as a T-boy and was just around some great en- engineers at that time. Um, Tim Free Screen, who went on to do Talk Talk, he right. was also a mentor. So there was this bunch of great engineers that Mike started with. But, of course, he was one of these engineers that went through the analog, the beginning of everything. You know, the, when we really, I think, after the, after the Beatles in the 60s, suddenly recording yeah. in the 70s and 80s just zoomed into a very sonic, wonderful place. And Mike was part of that. It's hard to express when you sit down with some, an engineer and he never fails <laughs> mm-hmm. at getting a mix, even a rough mix, that you go, this yeah. is good. And really, with Dancing in Heaven, our first hit, Brian and I just stood in the room after the mix of that, and we just looked at each other and said, we have a monster on our hands, and that's rare to feel that. And, and Mike Shipley made that record really, really happen. He recorded drums in such a way, and we only worked for two days on that record, yet he knocked, you know, he smashed it in, into something which was glorious. Right. And, you know, you listen to the Foreigner records, Urgent, and all the stuff that we did, that Mutt did around, and the cars. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, they sound really, really sonically oh, super. Yeah. And, I mean, recently he was doing Maroon 5. I haven't heard that stuff, but, of course, I think it's done extremely well again. So he was one of those guys that um, – but he also the thing that I think that, um, hurts us at this, at this point is that it, he was so sensitive to great music and trying to make it right that you hate to lose somebody who seemed to have so much joy in what he did. Yeah. You know, he absolutely loved it. And um, I immediately wrote a song about him called Golden because um, when we mixed our last um, – song together he'd gone back to analog for me and i said how did you feel about working back on analog with two machines being sunk up and moving slowly you know as they sunk up and he said it was golden it was golden to go back to such a great place and that's how i remembered him you know he was a a bit of a golden lad wasn't he bry he had that kind of attitude you know you were talking about different eras of engineering i mean he, he came from the the era of engineering where you you actually made something in the studio and you wired it up to make it sound good. I mean, I've heard stories about him working with Def Leppard where he would have a rock man. You remember the rock man? Oh, yeah. 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 And he would pull out the circuit board of the rock man. He'd have all these Mm. wires sticking out of it. And he he would use anything and Mm. he would build anything. And he had friends who are like pure engineers that would build things for him in the studio. Uh, to get what you know he had a vision you know right it's, and he always said it, it wasn't so much um what it sounded like it's what it 
what it could sound like, you know. Mm-hmm. Wow. And he was uh, he was always aiming for what it could sound like. He also turned me on very early on, funny enough, to um, some brilliant records that were happening then. Uh, Wang Chung, which uh, hung, they had the first album out called Hung Chung. Yeah, uh, on Arista, and he Hwang said, Chung. "Yeah," and he said, "Listen to that," and he was right. And then he said, "Listen to Japan's Tin Drum." Mm-hmm. You know, he was very, very turned on by great sonic music, which was inventive. Yeah. You know, and you can hear that. Um, with the work he did with Tom Dolby, a great that was deal. Fantastic yeah. Album. You know, yeah. what was interesting is I remember being at the session for a little bit when he was mixing um, Josh Groban, yeah. you know, with you, um, the Mimorana. And for as much as he had done, as, as big as he was, I just remember how well he took directions, yeah. your directions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget that. Because he guy. was sitting yeah. there. There was no argument. Totally it was open. like just yeah. totally in cruise control, and and um, and Martin was. Uh, I remember it was a, a tambourine that. Um, a t- no, it was a shaker. It was a piece of percussion, and then you know, and just you just wanted to degoose it just a little bit. And uh, no argument, just he wrote No, that he was one of the few guys just, that you could go, I'd say, would you come back and listen to the demo again? And he'd walk to the back of the room and put the headphones on and listen to the demo, and he'd really study it, and then he'd go back. And he had no problem with trying to catch what the demo had and go forward, which is, you know, that's the thing about Mike. He was a very humble guy. Mm-hmm. I, did know, I did know that over the later years that he didn't want to get pushed as much as he had been with Mutt Lang and lots of sessions right. where they go on for three, four, three to four days on one mix, and he was trying to get into that mode where on Pro Tools with an assistant, he could do it in eight hours. Right. And I didn't agree with that. I was like, no, we're going to be here for three days, whatever it takes, Mike. And he, <laughs> was, such, he was so sweet. Yeah. When we were in Battery Studios, uh, yeah. Def Leppard were recording in the, 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 the other room. Yeah, across the road, road over yeah. there. Yeah, I do, bro. And uh, Joe Elliott would come through and he said, uh, you know, he'd be hoarse. Yeah. Because he'd been singing for like, you know, three weeks. Wow. And One line. Yeah, one line. Three now, weeks. Mike was, you know, Holy I mean, this is when Mutt was the producer and Mike was the engineer. But right. um, Mike, he made he, he made everybody worse. Yeah. I mean, the guitarist played for three weeks on one line. Yeah. You know, the Joe would be on one line for three weeks, and it, he was just a perfectionist. And Mike um, just learned so much from from Mutt, and with his natural talent, he just took it. Mm-hmm. To a, 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 another level, wow. but he was so nice about it. I mean, his his yeah. catchphrase was well, it's not a phrase; it's a catchword. Was absolutely, you know? so, <laughs> and no I mean, worries. If you, you say no yeah, worries, if yeah. you need something done, you know, hey Mike, uh, it sounds great, but could you do X? Oh, absolutely, yeah, no problem. Yeah, no problem. Wow, and and, and and so humble in the way that if you had, I was doing documentaries in the studio where there were EPKs for um, House of Stone Light, and he wouldn't be filmed. <laughs> he was like, you know, no, you can get right. a shadow of me in the background, but and if, if ever there's a playback for record companies, he'd drift out and stay. He, he was very, very in touch with doing great work, and and I think very sensitive to maybe not not it being great. So right. that's what I liked about him. He, he wasn't like, hey, man, this is what I do. I'm red hot. We've all met people like that. You oh, know, I never fail. Yeah. But he was just always, you know, I don't and, know if I can do this. Right? Yeah. Yeah, he'd earned it. I mean, he could have said that. Absolutely. And, you know, one thing he, we learned as well, he mixed very quietly with Matt, didn't he? Yeah. We used to come in and, and he'd say, and it was like small speakers, <clears throat> and we were we were amazed in the early days with Def Leppard. So oratones or something. Yeah, like that, there right? was this yeah. huge... Huge rock sound coming out, but they were mixing on small speakers really quietly. They never turned it back past a certain volume because their their philosophy and Mutz was if you, if it sounds huge, 
quietly. Yeah. That's how it's going to sound on the radio. So they had a – we learned so much through, um, you know, the passage of time with Mike. And um, it was a great he, – he is a great loss now because you think those are the kind of people that can always add to the future, yeah. you yes. know. But yeah. – uh, they we can learned teach so much. the future engineers coming up. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, yeah. um, you know, what was interesting, Martin, is when we were talking this past weekend, and you were talking about the memorial service, and you were talking about how there was people um, getting up and talking about the music industry mm. and the distress that is it. Why don't you? Can you? I think you know, me and Brian and I walked away to one side, and we we were we were quite amazed. I think both of us that these great industry. Um, musicians and producers were getting up and you know people like larry klein who were very you know very close to mike uh, and other people were not only just talking about the loss but also how the music business had seemed to have affected him and mike and yet they've had huge success mike's won you know four three or four grammys and you could tell that um, there was a lot of disillusionment with people you know um that the industry had broken a lot of people and that that the um, state of affairs now can be so stressful and so negative on people that have had success that I I was quite stunned because I sort of I've been sort of rolling along quite pleasantly I think a lot of um, my Buddhism helps me keep a kind of middle way but you could feel people talking about these are rough times and we've all got to get through it and Mike took it to heart and I take it to heart and you know, we don't sell as much as we used to and we're not getting as much work. And I was quite – it, it struck me that right. there must be such um, stress levels for people that have that aren't absolutely doing what they did in the early years, you uh, know. Yeah. I could feel it in the room. I think Brian did as well. A lot of people mm-hmm. we spoke to were all like, we're not working as much as we used to and uh, our music is – but we've, we've got to hang in there. And um, you had a feeling that a lot of people felt like the stress – that probably encompassed Mike, you know, even though he'd had great success. And the search for perfection, which wasn't... I know for a fact that Mike wasn't very happy in mixing and giving his mixes away to mastering rooms and record companies that just lost all the dynamics yeah. in his mix. And this Loud was, and proud, as they This say. affected him very deeply, I think. And I think I could feel it in the air that, <coughs> although it was a celebration of Mike's life, a lot of people that got up and spoke, you felt like there's a lot of stress out there for the vintage players and producers it's a hard time but, on a lot of people there was an overall feeling that the uh, the business had changed irreparably yeah you know that yes. yeah, it wasn't Absolutely. the same business yeah. that, because we're talking about well, people who are, yeah, yeah we're talking about people who are in their like you know early 50s yeah. and you know mid mid to late 50s and you know we we started a long time ago 30 years is is a long time for mm. um your know, career and uh you know you um if 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 you're still making music 30 years on uh, it's not going to be the same kind of music, and, right. and the process is going to be completely different. Mm-hmm. And and I think that was the, the feeling. It's like there, there was a misunderstanding. It's like you know, what happened to the music business? Yeah, you know? yes. what happened to the business? I think Absolutely. that there's such a cheapening of music now because it's so easy yeah. for anyone to make it, and because the big records and you know the real artists, the big or the big artists, the people that make big stuff it's just so much harder for them to be able to do it now that was the feeling it, it, it's yeah, so absolutely. easy for me to take a thumb drive out of my pocket and hand it to you yeah. and say here give me yeah. you know give me eight gigabytes of music yes. out of your itunes library and then what's the value in that mm-hmm. music it's so different than you know when we were kids and we would save up our money to go buy an lp yeah you know yeah. well you know that comes mm-hmm. down to the whole spotify and streaming and what the artists make which is pittance and what's really interesting is you always have 
people talking about internet radio being on the level as terrestrial yeah. radio. But it really isn't. The, mm-hmm. the problem with internet radio is terrestrial radio is is pretty localized and it's it's to a certain market. And the way you have internet radio and your customizations of playlists and Spotify and streaming services, terrestrial radio was an addition to you owning the music. You mm-hmm. you bought the record, you heard it, you bought it, and then that way you could kind of play it whenever mm-hmm. you wanted the exactly. whole thing. It was an introduction. Yeah. Internet radio replaces mm-hmm. that purchase. Yeah. But also, and, Mike, was the, the, in that same week that we lost Mike, we <clears throat> lost a friend also, Troy Morris, who yeah. worked at Westlake, and he was heavily in the, in the industry trying to you know, still keep that uh, studio thing going. And, and I know it's tough times for people doing those jobs. You, know, just, you just feel it in the air that it's, it's tough out there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's on all Particularly different levels. for the people that are used to a certain way of doing things. The whole, yeah, there's yeah. a new sheriff in town, boys, yeah. and yeah. It's pretty heartless. And mm. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm really – I'd be really interested to see where this kind of shakes out because although I subscribe to Spotify and I have it, you know, you're basically renting your music. And we've talked about this many times. I, I still don't know. I, I'm still – you know, it's like how are you going to – you know, the fact that your sales are being replaced by streams, it's never, ever, ever going to make up that income mm-hmm. because – there's going to be a couple people that are going to make money off that, but to get the the sales, to get it flipped to a sales, it's just there's just no need. It's getting no, further no and need. further away from the yeah. source. I mean, when Martin and I were uh, when QFuel was getting played by K Rock, you know, it was getting played like what ten, twelve times a day. Mm-hmm. Um, we were making eighty five cents a play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on mm-hmm. just just on one radio station. So wow. you multiply that by how many radio stations it was actually being played on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we were getting some pretty healthy royalty checks. But these days, I don't know, Mark, what do you get these days oh, for it's a play? A diff- it's a, yeah, it's a absolutely, it's a yeah. different game because you know yeah. even when I put out my solo records and you and I look at CD Baby and a lot of it is streaming. But you know you have to stream. 50 million times yeah. to even make 20 pence you know so it's a uh, I'm lucky that the music I do people still want to buy a CD and they still are of my age group so you still tick over in that place but it is an absolutely different world so it's made us you know right. my management look at getting our copyrights back after 30 years and it's like you have to look at the big songs and if you don't tour now when I mean, we saw it mike didn't we yeah. recently the wang chung is still mm-hmm. touring because yeah. you almost got to get out there yeah. to tour it tour it in some way it, the days of the radio stations um playing your music for as brian says for uh, a more reasonable deal have gone and um even i look at you know i look at all the what i'm selling on cd baby and it, most of it is streaming you know mm-hmm. um you have to look at it almost like you're doing it for art's sake <laughs> and that you might get a good copyright that goes into a movie most of us as writers are looking for songs to go into movies so that's mean, what we're looking for yeah, yeah that that would absolutely just scare yeah. me if i was an artist coming out and and i'm working on a, on a project on some stuff you know i don't know if i would want it mm-hmm. to stream I mean, why not make it a little more exclusive? It's like, look, if you want to listen to this, it's it's really good, but you don't have to you know buy it. Yeah. You know, you don't have to charge as much as you ha- as days gone by. I remember walking into like the warehouse music store. You remember that? There's that yeah. the warehouse, oh, yeah. right? They would, you know, eighteen bucks for a CD. You know, and then I remember going over to Europe, going to Virgin when I the first time I went to Virgin when I was in England. I did the uh, conversion and. 
you were buying a CD for 30 bucks. Wow. It was yeah. crazy. And so I think nowadays, if, you know, working on a project, wanting to come out, I, I just don't see. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's been like that the, for the years, benefit. though, right? I mean, yeah. you, you, know, you can't make mechanical royalties anymore. Yeah. You know? Well, it's, it's just not worth it. You Rob, know? you're sitting there. Just weigh in on this conversation a little bit. Streaming, I know it's there. You're working on some musical projects. Does it freak you out the, the fact that the, the streams are replacing sales? And yeah, I mean the the project that I'm working on is a weird hybrid because it's uh, it's an independent project, but it's being handled more like a major label project from back then. Um, <clears throat> and it's it's not what's happening in the mainstream these days. I don't know. If I was doing just an indie small project, you know, the advice was always build your fan base one at a time and and sell your CDs at your gigs and, uh, mm. you know, all the other sort of normal organic way to build a career these days. I just don't see with the way the rates have changed that it's really a viable way for an artist to survive mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to still sell so many CDs to make the CD uh, have been worth making. Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's really scary time. I mean, it's the advice has always been you should only do this if you can't imagine doing anything else, or you can't imagine not doing it. Exactly. Um, yeah. But the numbers, if you look at what streaming generates, especially if you're a new indie artist who's getting a, occasional plays, I mean, it's. It's not where you're going to be able to survive. The survival still comes from your merchandise and your live performances, two yeah. things that are a lot harder to steal. Yeah, I mean, yeah. see, that that's exactly mm-hmm. that. Exactly. It's like you look at Spotify. I, I tell you, there's going to – I would not buy stock in Spotify. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. going to be a backlash, all right? There's going to be a backlash because people who need to be making the money aren't making money. I'm not saying there aren't people who are making money, but the people that need to be making money, the engineers, the producers, the the artists themselves, they're, they're getting nothing. And it's replacing sales. Yeah. It's not mm-hmm. aug- augmenting sales. And, you know, for a while, back a few years ago, we were talking about the 360 deals. Mm-hmm. And Andrew was talking – Andrew Sheps was talking about getting together with 360 deals. But, but really, I mean – the percentage of those that actually turn out – I mean I don't want to be a musician to write and make music so that I can sell T-shirts. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, and that's, that's really what the deals are like now. You know, with, with Robbie Williams, he's going to be you – know, he does his deal with the record company Universal and they get a right of every T-shirt, every book, everything he, he touches, every video. Yeah. And that's the way he gets – and, you know, and he's got a tour and yeah. he's, got to, he's got to sell out. So, you know, you're, you're more of a um, – trademark you're more of a a sellable unit than right. you are really probably great music i think i i don't you're I, a brand you're, you're basically a, you're a, brand. a brand you're a brand and then you can have success as a brand but i mean when if brian and i were starting now i'd be scary time we'd be we'd be going like my goodness is it worth it you know what we should be touring we should just go out and play clubs i mean because uh, the times have changed so i do feel um 
the stress on what we started the show off the stress on the kind of people that have come through our era can be incredibly intense because they're being put into a different landscape and i wouldn't want to be a young songwriter um starting again now i yeah. think like boy no. if you don't have a big you know a couple of hits yeah. that hit at that time we came at a really good time i mean right. it's a fortunate fortunate bloody time and there are times when it's good and there are times when there's depression yeah. and it's a little bit of a depression for great creative work at the moment where you feel like you can put your heart and soul in it and make a life make a career out of yeah. it you know? well i think one thing that you said was the pressure you know about performing yeah. live and things like that i, I mean you just can't it doesn't make sense now to to be the closet musician no. that records at home and never goes out. Yeah. And, you know, mm-hmm. back in the day, there were bands that you never saw live because they could make a living mm-hmm. off what they sold. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they couldn't perform it live. Exactly. And, and they were, But they were able to synthesize music in the studio. To yeah. Right. That point. Now, yeah. that being said, you've got the other side of the coin where it's the great democratization. Don't even, don't even go there with the democratization. <laughs> there we go. That's, that's what I was. No, no. Uh, that's what Brian uh, democratization. To speak yeah. Democratization. See, yeah. every uh. once in a while, I just trip over me. <laughs> but um, you know, you've got the laptops, and you got the guy who can write music in mm-hmm. his laptop, and he ends up striking it big and doing some big stuff. I mean, look at like the Owl City guy, and mm-hmm. you know, there's some really. Mm-hmm. You know, that's on the other side. But let's take the L City guy. He has a couple successes. What is his, you know, well, look at, look 20 at what, years down the look road? Look at the biggest like rock now. bands now are the DJs that are going to Las Vegas and, put in, and, and playing yeah. in clubs. Yeah. You know, they're, they're the ones that are, have taken the, the marketplace as a li- live thing. And, and it's actually an interesting time for nostalgic acts. You know, you'll see orchestra maneuvers and ultravox finding a gap because yeah. there are people going like us that go, I wouldn't mind seeing the Eagles again. I wouldn't mind seeing Fleetwood Mac again. So there's a, also a little bit of a chance of some of the nostalgia allowing some of these mm-hmm. bands yeah. to come back because yeah. some of us are a little bit starved of it so and if you looked at the grammys recently the, uh, people are playing guitars the young bands are sort of looking back a little bit so there's a glimmer of hope i think out there that people so that the kids are going to go i still want to see led zeppelin i still yeah. want to see the stones and i think that's hopeful that people are going to still say we want to see people singing you know, when you look playing. at i'll tell you a good example of that was uh on this last Grammy when Bruno Mars came out and played, you know, it was a breath of fresh air mm-hmm. to see a band and horns and choreography yeah. and mm-hmm. just great, you know, there's a little bit of hope and, yeah. and you're like, that's cool. But you know, we've really in a transition period though. You know, you've got the DJs yeah. and then you've got the Rolling Stones. So we're all not sure where it's going to land, you know, but I mean, I would love, why does there only have to be one Bruno Mars? Why is he the anomaly? Why can't there be a lot of acts like that? Because nobody's making any money, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But back in the day, I remember when you opened up the LA Weekly and you could see, okay, who was playing at the Forum and then you could see who was playing over at the Troubadour and then who was playing at the Santa Monica Civic and, and they were just packed mm. with live shows and there was people at all different levels mm. and all the way down to who was playing at the some of the smaller clubs and things mm. like that. And, and every weekend there was a mega show coming through and there was a, a medium show and and, and yeah. it's just not like that. You have basically the House of Blues circuit and then every once in a while you get a big arena show. You know? And and I think that's I what Rob said though, you know, unless you really want to do it because you've got to do it, you want to do it. Yeah. Streaming <clears> is making it making a lot of people go, what's the point of doing this? I can't make a life out I of just, this. I just I know? think there's gonna be a backlash. I really do. If if I was working on some music right now, I'd I'd put a video out, maybe one video on YouTube to get people kind of interested. But I wouldn't stream my music on Spotify because, quite frankly, I, I just – okay, you're going to get known 
but you're still not going to make any money. No, you're giving it away. Yeah. Yeah. So you're giving it away. You're yeah. going to get. Yeah. You're going to get known. And and man, I know Bobby Osinski wanted to be here today, but at the last minute he, he couldn't make it. But I'd, I'd really like to hear his take on this yeah, because because there's this yeah. you know we're going to be turning there's a left turn coming on Spotify. I think there's a couple of things here. Um, it feels to me that the the change in the music industry mirrors to somewhat uh, the vanishing of the middle class. Uh, you know, in American culture, we've got a place in which it used to be that you could make a living across a whole spectrum of different things, and you could make a moderate living as a performing musician. You know, just playing clubs and coffee houses and things like that, you could do it. Um, and then, of course, there were the Led Zeppelins and the people who became extremely wealthy at the top, and there were musicians. You know, sort of more musicians along the bottom that didn't make a lot of money but you know the ability for these mid-level bands to be able to continue doing anything at all that's the piece that's really sort of been sucked out of this whole thing so you've got the long tail of the internet where you've got anyone who can go out and make their record and put them up on cd baby i have albums up on cd Mm. baby other people do and it's great but i haven't tried to make a living doing that for a really long time because i knew that there were other ways that i could do it more effectively Mm -hmm. um you know it's a shame it would be very nice if we could have the ability for musicians, these people that spend their lives, you know, and years practicing and honing their mm-hmm. craft, have the ability just to be able to own a house in the suburbs and raise a family. Yeah. You know? right. Hey, really quick, Nick, what's yeah. uh, you have CD on CD, baby? Oh, I have a couple of them. Sure. I've been, right. you know, quick, just like in quick plug. Go ahead. Uh, let's see. The, the last one I released was called fire trucks. I have known, and it's all, <laughs> it's all uh, Hammond organ jazz and wow. it's available on CD baby. And, uh, from my website at underthebigtree.com. Wow. And, you know, I love doing it. I, I made a living. organ. That's yeah, cool. That's my, that's my instrument. And Is I, it really? Oh, yeah. No yeah. way. It's that's what I've been playing forever. That's awesome. They're that's hard awesome. to move up and down staircases, huh? They are. And my back is the first one to remember that. These days I have a digital one, you know. I, I found it a point of pride when I was able to go from carrying around a chopped Hammond, which was 225 pounds, and a Leslie 122. Yeah. What, what model of Hammond? It was a, it was a B three or it was uh, probably yeah. a C three because God, you don't actually yeah. destroy it the memory. Me and sure, yeah. when played in the road, our um, keyboard man, crashed. I got to hear that because yeah. there's nothing like a really good organ that. player there is who knows nothing. how to work the Leslie. Yeah. That's the key because yeah. I was uh, I was honored to be able to work with um, Al Jarreau and I was his backline tech and and the. Um, Larry, I think, was the uh, – no, it wasn't Larry. I forgot the name of the uh, keyboard player who was the music director. Anyhow. Not Larry he, Williams. No, no. no. Okay. He screamed. He was awesome. Hmm. Larry Williams was actually in the band, though. He was so, yeah. awesome on that on the Hammond. I mean, it was just – it growled. It was mm-hmm. so cool. That, that yeah, growling, yeah. oh, it was nothing like it. I like to think of the Hammond organ as the Harley Davidson of keyboards. <laughs> <you know, laughs> nice. I like this, that. <laughs> this ridiculous power to it. And there's a whole – just like any instrument, there's a whole performance practice. There's yeah. a whole difference yeah. between playing fretless bass and fretted mm-hmm. bass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I started out as a pianist, as every kid did. You know, yeah. I started playing when I was eight. And I thought, you know, I got into synthesizers, and then I thought when we got into when I got into the Hammond organ, that it was the same thing. You're just playing mm. chords, and it's not like that at all. Nah. And it takes you years yeah. to understand yeah. through yeah. listening and through really learning how to use the instrument to play it in its own way. The one thing I know is you cannot take an American organ over to Europe. No, 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 no. <laughs> you can, Frequencies you are, are connected you to are the You are asking for trouble. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Did you try doing thing? this yeah. at some yeah. point? Oh, yeah. I've, I worked with an act. They... they Shipped it out there. It was a chopped, and we got over there, and and it just sounded horrible. Oops. I oh, mean, no. they actually ended up uh, renting an, an organ 
from. But uh, you bring back locally. memories because when Brian and I were in a, in, a, in a big band in a London tour and called CMB Charlie Mullins Band, we had a keyboard player that he used to have a CP seventy. Mm. Oh yeah, they were so heavy, and he had a Hammond as well. And yeah. I always remember, like my. God, that that took fifteen roadies to get uh, into gear, just, you know. And I thought, mm-hmm, how do these? Mm-hmm. How do we do this for a whole year? Mm-hmm. You know, Brian used to come to my flat in Islington when we were doing Q-Phil, and he'd bring up his um, a twin, twin reverb up, up into twin yeah. uh, four, plus four, the, uh, staircase. the gig bag and the guitar. And, you, you take and it, it was on, the on a bus. It was on a one thirty-eight bus. Uh, <laughs> out of a tube. <laughs> yeah, I used to carry a high watt amp with me on bloody buses. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, hundred watt amp. I mean, those are things you did, and you know, now you. Go like oh, how could I vir- possibly uh, done that? Give me virtual oh, keyboard. But there, ever- there was a magic to it, though. Oh, I mean, yeah, you, know, yeah. you just yeah. you just yeah. didn't care. Yeah. I mean, no, that's right. I remember. You know, we we played in a band that had a Mellotron. Remember the Mellotron? Oh, of course, yeah. heavy as hell. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, yeah. Were they heavy? But yeah. they, you know, it was like big and fragile. Tapes. And fragile. Just the yes. tapes themselves yeah. get wrecked wow. as they're yeah. coming Absolutely. through. Absolutely. And you know, just getting all that equipment into yeah. a gig, you know, yeah, and then yeah. putting it back in the van and driving it home yeah. and keeping it in one piece was like, you know, yeah. it was an art in itself. I, yeah. me- I remember yeah. doing a gig where um, it was with an, the Leslie speaker was either a C three or B three, one of the one of those organs, mm. and the Leslie stopped working. Right, and mm. I was the keyboard tech, so you know, it's. It's the laws of the road. You're a keyboard tech. Fix it. Fix it. <laughs> right? And that's like, that's like you know, a, a, a Leslie speaker to keyboards. You know, I was into synths and all that MIDI. It's that's a like, mechanical thing. Exactly. Though, right? it's, oh, yeah. it's, Let me it's just like, rebuild this motor right exactly. here. Exactly. It's like yeah. being a, yeah. an automotive mechanic <clears throat> and having to yeah. fix a toaster. <laughs> I mean, it's like. Yeah. You, you, know, you were was, legendary, though. I, I, uh, I remember no. stories you told me uh, about uh, fix, fixing things under the desk and you had the manual under the oh, desk. Remember oh, that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. absolutely. And I it's mean, like you, yeah. you didn't really know what you're doing, but you had the manual. So I was having a manual. But. At the House of Blues, you fixed an MPC-60 with about five minutes to go. Oh, I know. That was... and, and our whole show was programmed around that. That was my so. career, Camp man. Yeah, Just yeah. one sweaty moment after another. <laughs> <laughs> but with the Leslie, I opened that up. I had no clue why I wasn't spinning. Mm-hmm. Thank God. It's it like was, a spitfire. It was I mean, really... you got to go back into old, yeah. old designs. Well, that. you know what yeah. it was? It was, there's, it was the, the, the actual... Belt the, thingy. The belt for the upper rotor for, has come off. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what happened. Oh, you, you know Thank stuff. God. It was oh, yeah. just like, flip, and it went back on. That's and then, beautiful. And it just, yeah. all it had to do was just last the gig. I didn't, I didn't, mm. good thing it didn't break because there's no And way. you were a hero because you fixed the last I was just, I was lucky, man. That's all. These were the golden days, though, because we used to go to like uh, the uh, uh, university and see these bands set up. You know, Thin Lizzy and uh, Sniff, Sniffing of Tears yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, Southern Brothers, and they always had an organ player with a roaring f-ing Hammond. And those things, when you heard it live, you Hell just yeah. there's yeah. nothing <laughs> like I saw your trousers, oh. and there's all this. Uh, it allows you to compete yeah. with a guitarist. It's like, yeah. I'm here with my tinkly little piano, yeah. and I'm totally swamped <laughs> out. And now it's like, rah! Yeah. Take that, well, there's nothing. You get a high note, and it starts yeah. off, and then you kick that Leslie in, and oh, the yeah. tremolo kicks yeah. in, and just and takes it. Just it. gets everyone very excited. Man, yeah. we're gonna have, we'll almost have to do another show. Just then we'll have audience. to do a vintage keyboard show. <laughs> I used right. to, my, you know, and this was club gigs. This was not even getting to the level bigger than you know, five thousand seat festival kinds of things, which right. is as far as I ever got. And we would carry around. I had the Hammond Chop, I had a Leslie 122, I had wow. a Fender Twin, I had a Clavinet, yeah. I had either a Wurlitzer or a Rhodes with wow. me, and then I had a you know a, a guitar 
you know thing filled with pedals for all wow. the stuff. Mm-hmm. It was just like, how do you do that? And it's like, yeah. yes, you're 32 years old and you that's can do this. That's right. There's a certain time you don't have the energy. Never again. Well, you know, that's you know, I'm going to kind of bring this all back around to what we kind of started on and. It's great talking about all these yeah. times and talking about you know all these great keyboards and stuff. I think one thing that we have to remember, and as you're out there and you're noticing like music industry is kind of in distress and things like that, number one, it's never going to be that way again. Mm-hmm. Just no. never. Those days mm-hmm. are gone. They're mm-hmm. long gone. And and number two, you know, I think now you kind of have to just now's the time where you kind of just have to. I hate to use this phrase, but it's really true. You know, tough it out. Kind of yeah. see where it kind of goes. I'm sure there are a lot know? of engineers out yeah. there uh, that relate to Mike Shipley. And yeah, I think, absolutely. I think this podcast is very useful because, you know, we know that they're taking a lot of stress. You know, there's perfection out there and in, in, in how you ride the waves. Yeah. Particularly if you're a sensitive, artistic person, which Mike was. I think other engineers can gain a lot of um, knowledge from how they have to stay strong through this period and hopefully hopefully um be able to swim the waves because right. we've seen a few people in the last few years have struggled with right. this you know the few people have passed away engineers particularly that have found i think i think the stress and the changing and, climate right. be, be a lot to carry and it's a well you start to question yeah. how much is it valued i mean yeah. that you know that right. t- kind of talent is, is it valued mm. anymore i mean mm. is the you know being able to play an instrument uh, you know extremely well like a yeah. virtuosity is is that valued because you know you can get some kid in a yeah. a bedroom that can record something on a, mm-hmm. on a laptop and uh, put it on youtube and it gets like you know you can record a cat dancing yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and get you know make better living than uh, you can as a musician these days. Well, it's you know? all you know. Yeah. I always say it's one thing to have a gig, but it's another thing to have a career. You know, those are yes. two different things. And even that U two guy, he gets a gazillion hits, but <clears throat> you know, having the career is where you should strive. Look mm-hmm. at the industry; it's tough, it's kind of tense. But what what you really need to do is is you need to to really gather friends and. Get people around you that are going through the same stuff. That's mm-hmm. one of the great best thing about this podcast is we're all kind of you know on the same age. And we're mm-hmm. all you know riding this wave and working on projects and just you want to surround yourself. You know, there's there's no need for for some of these people to to you know be gone already because you know if there was could have been something there to help people with with some of the stress and to mm-hmm. help people with. A with support some system. Of the, yeah. Exactly, a support yeah. system. And and the last thing before we uh, take a break, um, you know, just keep it all in perspective, you know. Just keep it I'm – I'm a perspective person as far as where your career and where your music is in, in just your life, you know. And just, just enjoy breathing, enjoy being around people, enjoy your family, enjoy your friends mm-hmm. on, on just a purely emotional, you know – Bonding, loving level. I think a good, good point Beautiful. here as well is, you know, like you said, Mike, uh, we, we, we knew with, with um, our friend Mike Shipley that he internalized a lot of things. Yeah. So he was, a, he was a very um, quiet guy, a very humble guy, and he took a lot in and didn't really get the chance to express it all the time, to yeah. probably, you know, when, he, when it might have helped him. So I think a lot of engineers out there and producers and musicians that um, might be feeling a little bit of this rough point um in their careers you've almost got to sort of say um i understand what a lot of these people we've lost in the last year have gone through and maybe you know although it's a sad thing 
that's why we're all here talking about it yeah. because we're all we hate to lose somebody who is so artistic and creative so in this turmoil of the careers we you hope that engineers and people that like mike are thinking okay we have to um communicate to our friends yeah. it definitely made me and brian talk on the phone and talk to our drummer trevor because we were all you know stunned but it, it does it's a shame it takes these things to yeah. bring us all to Close again. I, you know? I tell you, one of the a moment I will never forget in my whole life is was when I actually told you about Mike and yeah. just the re, I, I just through the phone the response mm. that that I could feel just you were just so blown away and so just mm. just, it's just not, too unreal because yeah. he was he's younger and, than us and he was and I have never lost anybody that's actually been so much in the trenches with me and it's a bit of a you just don't see it do you, you right know, you just don't see it and and mm. yeah but but. Yeah, and just the point that I mean, in in some way, you know, it was really tragic. But you know, I'm glad that that we have yeah. that we're friends. Yeah. I'm I'm glad that you know all you guys. I'm glad all I you guys Brian are friends. straight away. Exactly, we, 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 we have we the all, support network. Yeah, and guys, you know, if you're out there, man, just establish your network. Yeah. I, I can't tell you how important that is for mm-hmm. you know, and call people. You know, give give people you haven't mm-hmm. talked to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. Give him a call. I think what, what it did to, to be was like, oh my goodness, why wouldn't we all be sat in a room again, um, right. not taking this serious? Right. You know, yeah. be playful because uh, you you almost have the feeling I did that yeah. I that Mike would still be here if if he'd been playful yeah. and people had been around him. So you do get, although I don't know the the, de- the depth of it, yeah. I'm sure it was too hard to get through. But you do go, oh, we take this all too serious, don't we? Yeah. We're all still alive. Let's play. Yeah. Let's uh, let's loosen up a little bit. You know? well, but I, the biggest thing is you've got to live. I mean, yeah. like. Like yeah. you were saying, I mean, it's not just it's just not just about the business. You, you've yeah. got to get mm-hmm. out there, even yeah. if it's just going to a party or yeah. something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you never know who you're going to meet, and maybe yeah. it'll turn into business. But yeah. it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Just get out there and do something. Absolutely. You, know? you hear yeah. that, Rob? We're going to be calling you more often because we want you to get out. <laughs> okay, yeah, I could I could stand to get out. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, though, you know what? Me and Rob, we we went yeah. and had dinner a couple <clears throat> weeks. Ago, and oh, that great! Was, that there was really go. good. Yeah. That's what we're talking well, about. Plus, I should mention, I've flown to Austin like twice in the last two weeks. It's not like I'm not getting out. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't actually specifically talking to, uh, to you about that, Rob. Don't worry about it. Okay. It's about more I'm than... getting yeah. out a lot. <laughs> Don't the get thing, defensive. The <laughs> thing that we really have to remember is that our career is a great thing, and I love it, and I'm not tired of music, and I'm not tired of sound design after all these years. Right. But it's only one dimension. It's yeah. only one part of yeah. who yeah. any yeah. of us are. Yeah. We're yeah. parents. Absolutely. And we're husbands. Husbands and we're wives and yeah. we're you know people who love jogging or sailing and all of mm-hmm. these other things and there's so much out there to live for. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. you know it's not just yeah. about this one thing. Absolutely. Well, hey, on that note, um, we're gonna take a break right now, and then when we come back, we're gonna talk about uh, collaboration because I think this is a good time to talk about collaboration as you start bringing more people into your circle. How do you write with them? How do you work with them? What are kind of your expectations? What are some of the pitfalls? And we've got two really great collaborators sitting here. Good All right, so we'll good. see you on the other side. You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Westwave Audio. Have a question for the panel? Would you like to be a guest on the Audio Nowcast and live in the L.A. area? Email us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Hey, 
Hey, welcome back to Yadin Outcast. And I can do that better. Hold on one second. <laughs> hey, welcome back. To- <laughs> Too That's much. pathetic. That's that twice. was not bad. That was not bad. There's, there's mucus on the shield there now. <laughs> Hold on. That's okay. It's, it's, it's my pop <laughs> That's right. Mucus. Hey, welcome back to Yadin Outcast. And um, before the break, we were we were talking man we were talking about a, a lot of uh, profound stuff um one thing is that we neg- neglected to say is you know in this industry one of the cool things now is that you really do kind of control your own destiny you know you really can you know time is a train and if you want to um ride the train then you need to stay up with the technologies you need to stay up with with um, techniques, and you just need to stay up with with the music, and and you know, there's a lot of um, mixers out there that you know didn't mm-hmm. learn Pro Tools. There's yeah. a lot of post mixers, a lot of music mixers, and that's mm-hmm. you know, right there, boom, you you yeah. really shut the door on your career. Mm-hmm. They want to think, they want to have time stand still, and that isn't what happens. Yeah. That's right. not yeah. the reality of the situation. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, just stay on top of technology. I, I'm an information sponge. Mm-hmm. Rob is an information sponge. And, and we we read a lot, and we buy a lot, and we use a lot. And, and mainly, if not for anything else, it's just self, for me, it's self-preservation because I know things are changing, you know? I mean, I'm the senior audio mixer, and if I don't mm-hmm. have an answer to an audio question where I work, then, yeah, you know, what good am I? So I, I always need to be the smartest guy in audio. I always need to be on top of that. And you are. And that, mm-hmm. well... Rob is way smarter. <laughs> so are you, Rob. <laughs> but, but seriously. Yeah, but you, also, I mean, yeah, you, yeah. you too. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a love fest. Yeah. Oh, you guys. But no, but, but that's, you know, that's what happens when you, you know, look, all you guys out there in your 20s that are going to recording school and listening to this, and I know we have a lot because I've gotten your emails and they've been really great, you know, stay with it. You know, mm-hmm. you cannot, when you have a career, when you want to do audio, when you want to make money doing this, it's a lifetime commitment. It's Absolutely. funny. You know, we were talking about in the break, I think, and I think Rob um, pointed at this. If you love doing what you what you want in music, if you love it, you tend to just go, move with the technology because you just have to. I mean, yes. when Brian and I started off, it was, you know, two track. Then you get a Revox and you get a new join two two tracks together then you get a four track and you just go with it because you know you have to right um yeah. and i think that's one of the things that you know i think rob uh, well you yeah. also got youth on your side i mean yeah. like you know mike was saying if you're you're 20 you're mm-hmm. 20, 25 30 years old out there you know you've got to be on it you've got to mm-hmm. stay on it and if you don't um you're, you're gonna fall behind you know because somebody else will take it you know yeah. and we yeah you know, we did when we were that age we didn't think about failing no we, we never thought about failing. We, it's only now I think about failing. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so true. Which, which would bring me to my next point, and that is if you're in your 40s and your 50s and it isn't working for you and you can't make that transition, it's okay to get off the train. It's okay. Yeah. Don't stay on something that's, that's making you bad, making yes. you feel bad. You very, know, just very good point. get off the train. Jump into whatever else. I mean, exactly. There are other things there. You know? Go, you yeah. know, exactly, that's what Nick was talking about. other things you can yeah. do. Yeah, when yeah. we were talking in the break, Nick was saying, you know, it, maybe it's not music. Maybe it's something else, you know. Yeah. But he, uh, but go for it, you know, whatever we, it is. We got a great letter um, from a listener who wanted to be uh, an artist and realized that he wasn't good enough to be an artist, mm-hmm. you know. And so he basically backed away f- 
but then slowly but surely got back in on the engineering and the recording side, mm-hmm. and now that's what that's what he's doing full time. That's great. He's he's doing that, and he found something else exactly. Yeah. So, man, that's why the big thing we preach here is is just honesty. It's just you know being honest with yourself and and really mm-hmm. a really good point here is I think uh, you've got to be healthy. You know, yeah. if, if the music that you love or the art you do starts to affect you in a negative way, well then you've got to get away yeah. from it. You know, you've mm-hmm. got to keep you've got to enjoy it. Yeah. You know, and that's the key. And I think what we see what we've seen recently in the last couple of months is people that have it's overcome them. Yeah. Uh, um and and it's affected their health. So that's a huge yeah. thing you have to think about. Yeah. Just uh just you know, and just embrace the passion mm-hmm. the, for what you want. You know, keep it all in perspective, but just just know that um, there's no harm into yeah. sure. You know, maybe no we, harm into keeping it as a hobby. We all we all love music. I mean, whether you're, you're behind the scenes or in front of the camera, you you know, you we all love music. We just have to find you know what we are really good at. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and how we can express ourselves. And sometimes you you enter the room uh, from the wrong door. And you know it doesn't mean you have to leave the room completely. Yeah. You, maybe you you just move over to one side, you know, and you find something that you love. That's you know? so true. You know yeah. what? Reality is the great equalizer. Mm. You will, you know, yes, exactly. you will, you cannot fake reality. You can't fake it because mm. when you get out there, if you're not good, then you're not going to sell. You're not. People aren't right. going to be. If you're if you're good, you know, then yeah, it kind of dictates. It's it, like it? It, yeah. yeah. If there's a reason, if you're like. Man, I've been trying this for 15 years and I just can't <laughs> seem to get a break. Well, yeah. you know, that's like the universe Why saying. Why people buy my records? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What's wrong with them? You, you know, people are who they are, yeah. and and you'll never ever change that. You know. But all of a sudden, you know, you're an artist like that, and that's not working for you. But you realize that you have a great voice for voiceover, yeah. and yeah. then you start making it as, as you, do, you know, doing cartoons or something, yeah. or you become a great dialogue editor, or you yeah. become a great something else, and you fall into this this groove of what it is that you're so wonderful at and yeah. if you're paying attention you can make a terrific career That's out of that pay, there pay are attention. so many different yeah. ways yeah. Yeah. to make money in audio yeah. production yeah. and in music production don't get too really single minded yeah. that you yeah. you think mm-hmm. that's all you can do because mm-hmm. it's not be that's flexible right. flexibility Pliable, yeah. and it's the same thing we were talking about sort of the um the the need to be able to continue being up on the technology flexibility in terms of realizing that the world isn't going to stop it's going to keep moving forward technology yeah. is going to keep moving forward yeah. mm-hmm. then Macintosh that we own ten years from now is going to make our current Macs look laughable oh, in absolutely mm-hmm. and if, you know you if you love that stuff and you stay up on it like you do and I do and Rob does and everyone here does then uh, you know that means that you will have the ability to continue having a fluid and flexible career. For the rest of your career, yeah. yeah. Hopefully, you got to roll with it. No, yeah. that's, mm-hmm. it's so true. Mm-hmm. That's how you. That's how you get a career. You know, your career. Well, you know, careers are built on passion. You know, yeah. really, it's, it's mm-hmm. you're going to want to do it because I'll tell you what. If you try to get into audio engineering because you think it's cool or something, and and you you you're mixing and you don't have a home studio and you don't read the trades and you, you're you're gonna you're gonna age out. You're going to kind of fall by the wayside because. You gotta hit that next level. The passion mm-hmm. takes you to that next mm-hmm. level. I know a mixer, really good friend, um, mixes post production and doesn't have a Pro Tools rig at the house and doesn't really read a lot of trades. And and I'm like, that's all cool and dandy. You know, he's kind of a younger guy now. Okay, let's say you're 28, 30 years old. Mm-hmm. Okay, but doing the same job, you know, in 10 years. It, 
things are going to change so radical. And if you don't keep up, if you don't hone your skills, it's it's going to get to the point where there's going to be this younger, cheaper kid mm-hmm. from a recording school that's going to come out there. It's going to make you replaceable. Well, you're, you're going to end up digging a hole so deep you can't climb out. That's but, the thing. Yeah. 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 You know, there's – although I will say – it's never too late because Martin learned Pro Tools. <laughs> it's not a shame. And everybody knows it. He's sent And he's a complete idiot, right? You know what? <laughs> he wheels up in his wheelchair and he's able to grab the mouse no, and sort yeah. of point it. No, 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 that, that sounds a lot worse. No, no, listen. That sounds a lot worse than the way I meant it. But seriously, no, yeah. Martin was in that. His old studio was, was about as analog as analog could yeah. go. I mean, he used to comp like five tracks of vocals with faders, right? Mm-hmm. He'd be like, you know, he'd be comping with faders. That's that's mm-hmm. insane. It's called gang. Awesome. We used to gang, you know? right? Yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So, so he had a very analog studio. Walked. There's a, a about still a year. In a way, yeah. You know, walked still, away for yeah. a little bit, you know, and then got back into it. Learned Pro Tools. And not only learn Pro Tools, but he learned how to work Pro Tools at the level that he needed to. Mm-hmm. But he's turned into one pretty awesome mixer on Pro Tools. I That's mean, very he, sweet. No, of you. but it's true. I mean, you did a your last album. Again, yeah, a lot of that is you know influenced by you know um, what I learned from you and from Chipley. You know, because um, if you love it, again back to Rob, the passion. You just you just work it out. I mean, you just want to play with it and work mm-hmm. it out because you do want your songs to be heard, and so you you've got to get an end result. Yeah. I've always been motivated by having the song get out in whatever form so you have to deal with technology but in fact this brings us back to the last time i worked with mike shipley because i was working with uh josh groban on an on an analog recording and i and we did the record analog but nobody else that was mixing on that record and it was all different producers were doing it analog and so josh groban came into my home studio and was like what's that i said tape machine i haven't seen one of those ever and and, uh, he was really vibed up i said we've got to do it analog because i love the sound but really i didn't have an and i didn't have anything else so <laughs> we had we had to win the day but then when i came to mix it with mike um it wasn't working very well in the we had transferred everything over from the analog onto pro tours but we didn't have everything lined up properly so there was this veiling effect which which was causing problems and and, and uh, mike eventually agreed to going back onto analog but was the, but i was forced really this is the industry had said to me you know mm-hmm. no more of this uh, analog three yeah. days recording we could do this much faster on yeah. and all the engineers were saying to me i said mike we're gonna do i got an analog recording well we don't need to do that transfer it over so in a way the industry uh, overpowered it me and on. said you yeah. have to move on. But you know? you know, as a benefit of you moving on, I don't think some of the stuff that you put out, had you been forced to do it in your old studio, would have been as good as it is right now. No, I agree with you. Because you've I got agree with you. yeah. way more creative yeah. space yes. and mm-hmm. you take advantage of that. So. Yeah. And, and coming from a guy who, I mean, when we first started, we had to make decisions. We had to you yes. know, do triage on, tack, on tracks. Mm-hmm. We had to say, okay, that goes, that yeah. stays. Because yeah. we're working on what, four tracks was it? A Tayak four track? Well, it, so, the, the, you, you know, know we had this to is lose an interesting thing because in the little room that I've got now called the Owl's Nest where I'm doing a lot of uh, saving of the early cassettes that 
Brian and I made um, down to digital just to, so that I can um, have a record of everything we've done. Um, we were working on two tracks and we were singing vocals through a Fender Twin Reverb and we were playing drums on our, <laughs> on our legs and on, and on the back of guitars. And so kick, um, awesome. kick drum with a, a dampened bass guitar. <laughs> <laughs> and we had to sing live vocals all the way through and we had to sing, Brian would sing harmonies on one take and we go, we've just on the last verse we just up let's start again so these were great 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 lessons to mm-hmm. take now into pro tools because right. it's such a luxury but still the um early days have taught me to um approach things in sometimes more of a um organic way yeah and that's a beautiful blend with pro tools mm-hmm. you know well uh to wrap that up you know just just you bastard Fault. about the protos. I mean, for crying out loud. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on. Uh, believe me. Thank I, God I can, you were there, Mike, I can tell it. you some stories on the road, tech stuff. Stop now. Stop now. It's like, just picture Martin showing up with a microphone in one hand and a cable in the other. Just... Help me. <laughs> you okay, bastard twice. That I mean, <laughs> it was double bastard. Somebody stop him. <laughs> I am going to jump in and bring Thank in you. one thing that's not quite as funny, but it is true, and it's relating back to you know sort of people getting older and uh, you know having to learn new stuff. Current theories of neuroplasticity, uh, as near as I understand from stuff that I've read, say say that we are capable of continuing to learn until mm-hmm. we go into the ground. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, it's merely a matter of Absolutely. passion. There is no reason yeah. whatsoever that a 50 or a 60 or a 70 year old person can't learn to play a new instrument, mm-hmm. can't learn to paint, can't learn to do anything. I mean, we're capable of it. So don't I, think I, that I, it's very you're, you're so that's such older. a wise I'm, so, I'm more excited now in what I'm writing and what I'm playing uh, than ever before. I'm Think playing, about how much wisdom you have that you didn't have when that, you were 20. You know what? Right? And that, I'm playing guitar, doing things, you know, not unbelievably brilliant, but I'm understanding it in a different space because my brain is more loose with it. Yeah. You know, things that even as a young man I thought I couldn't do. When you get older, you tend to yeah. just go for it and you're surprised that you can uh, do mm. these things. Well, yeah. the good thing about, like, with me and technology, right? I remember when I was first starting out as a tech and I would read the manual front to back and I would – whatever it was. I would just dig through it and read the whole thing, um, sometimes reading it while I'm trying to solve the problem at that moment. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> Under the desk. Sometimes I was – Let me reading- jump in here, Mike, because when we buy something from my studio, I open the box, you know, and it's all down to Mike to set it together. And I go, look, Mike, we better go – no, I don't want to read that. I'll just look at it and I'll work it out. And I'll, no, no, no. I said, well, don't we need to re- – no, 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 no. That's paperwork. Let's just plug it in. I'll work it out. So there's an organic feel you have. Well, yeah. getting back to – yeah, now, now as I'm older, I, I know how to and when to mm-hmm. go to a manual, when to not. Like if it's, mm-hmm. if it's a new technology that, that – you know, you've never seen before. Then yes, you want to go. You've got a new an, way to work. An you got to go. Yeah. You know, and and then you also have to know the bits and pieces you want to get into, and the bits and pieces you don't want to get mm-hmm, into. Mm-hmm. You know, do I really want to get into, you know, my new keyboard, the synth engine, and then how to program every filter in there and every parameter? 
I don't. You know, I'm perfectly happy with the presets and tweaking the little envelope mm-hmm. here and there and stuff like that. But it's if like, you want to, it's like you rocket can. science for dummies, right? Yeah, exactly. you pick it up when you need it, right? Mm-hmm. But as as you get older, that's the good thing is when you're learning, when you're older, you kind of you kind of have a way of yeah. going about it. Now, don't get me wrong; it's never a bad thing to read a manual from front to back. Mm-hmm. But when you have to do it right then and there, and, and you need, you know. When you don't have time to read it, you just need to know how to learn. You need to be mm-hmm. aware of how to learn. And, and how it's to- like picking up a guitar and playing it as opposed mm-hmm. to you're know, picking up a guitar book and learning how to play it. It's right. like sometimes it's best just to play a few notes yeah. and yeah. just go for it and see what it sounds and like. And if you, you know? like, you know, and certain things you're not going to hurt. Like changing patches on a keyboard, you're not going to hurt the keyboard right. as long as exactly. you don't hit the button that says right. <laughs> right? Yeah. But Delete. But, but if you're going to go into a, a music program and you're you're messing around with you know your I/O setup of your Pro Tools and then uh, you know you can really get yourself yeah, down. There are some areas you don't want to go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so then you need to really understand the concepts and things like that. But hey, listen, we need to uh, let, let's talk about let's segue straight into um, collaboration because um, I, I really wanted to talk a little bit about that mainly because I've got. You guys here, you know, mm-hmm. Martin and Brian, you guys, how much stuff have you written together? You oh, know? you know, this is such a fascinating time for me because I, I'm going through a period where I'm, I've brought all my cassettes out. Uh, I, I kept everything that I ever wrote with Brian. And, and really, Brian and I, you know, were prolific through a long period of time. So I'm listening to the very, very first things we ever wrote. And um, we had a little uh, studio in... Um, Islington in London, little four track in my bedroom, a little bedsit, and we just set up a little amp, and and we were just. Um, it's fascinating to me now because you, uh, as my career went on, I sort of dismissed these early demos and go everything had to be better, better sounding. Now with a different uh, viewpoint because I've hit that sort of nostalgic point of looking back at the beginning of time with us. Um, some of these demos are superb, absolutely full of vitality, not. Um, engineered brilliantly and th- you know things are wrong with them but the actual enthusiasm and the instinct for writing songs and our and our um energy for it is is mm-hmm. really um uh, enlightening to me and has made me feel really um strong about doing it again a collaboration is a wonderful thing which i did so so much th- with Brian and through the 80s and 90s when I had to break my own career. And then I fell into a place which I had to do, which was to work on my own a great deal and, um, you know, challenge myself. But I'm at that point now where I think um, there's something beautifully spiritual about collaborating, particularly with my best friend, who um, is, even when Mike passed away, it sort of made me realize that Brian lives around the corner. We did some great, we, we, have, a, we have a great understanding and we're great friends. So you sort of go, Let's do it again. And luckily, I spoke to Brian about it. And he said, yeah, I'm up for it. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to, you know, make a nice area in my house where we can do what we did in the, in the past. It's a beautiful thing. But um, it's something that I've been made aware of by going back and listening right. to what we did as kids. Mm-hmm. You know, we did mm-hmm. this at kids. And some of the stuff's terrible. But it, some of, you can hear our passion. And um, it's very rare when you find a person you've written so many songs with. I mean, I don't, Brian's not even really, I think, quite aware because I I'm kept not, all the demos. I, I, you know? I can't remember, to be honest, because yeah. I'm, I'm uh, in my 50s. Was yeah. it more than but- <laughs> I'm over here, Brian. I'm over here. Where are you? Oh, I've been looking at Mike. It's your right hand. 
night. The whole evening. <laughs> was it more than four? <laughs> you know, it's like collaboration yeah. uh, at the very beginning was very different than mm-hmm. it was later on when we were older and more yeah. experienced. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, collaboration uh, to me when I first came to Los Angeles was a mm-hmm. bit of a... Um, I mean, unless it was with Martin, because, you know, we we had a relationship. But, yeah. you know, Los Angeles was built on collaboration when it yeah. came to songwriters, where you were actually put together yeah. in a in a like a stable with with other writers, you know. And, you know, the other writer could be a lyricist or the other writer could be a keyboard player or a composer <coughs> of, of some sort. Yeah. Right. And um, I was so unused to that kind of collaboration, just uh, like off the cuff, mm-hmm. that um, I, I was very tight at the very beginning when now, I came now to Now, how did that work? Would you get together with them and then you'd be, okay, I'm, I'm kind of the, the guy would play some this riff. Is, this then- is how I did it. I don't know if it was the same with you, Mark, when we first came over here, but I, I would work up an idea right? because I was so insecure that we'd just sit staring at each other for <laughs> like, you know, Three it's hours. Ex- it's absolutely the same for me. And go, yeah. uh, you know, this isn't working. You know, that I would work up an idea and it, just in case, I'd work up another idea as a mm. backup, just in case they didn't like that first <laughs> idea, you know. We were the same. I did Exactly the same. same. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, now um, I'm willing to go in with somebody and, and just, you know, like be in the room with them right. and just mm. see who they are and, you know, see how their energy works and, uh, yeah, we don't have to do that so mm. much now with right. Martin and mm. I, but you know, I'm talking about with a stranger. I can yeah. do that, you know, and yeah. I feel quite comfortable doing that. So, would you say, like, when you go to collaborate with somebody, um, what would you? What's one of the most important things? Communication expectations. You know, I hadn't collaborated for many, many years. I really went into my own world, and I really wanted to prove to myself that I could write on my own and do all this stuff. You know, because right. I'd done so much of it. Because, as Brian said, when we came in the eighties, that's what you did. LA was a a hybrid of just people writing songs together all the time. Now. Brian and I were best mates and had a kind of relationship where we support each other. So we were put with Kim Carnes, Maurice White, different people. And so I was able to go in with my friend and we were strong together and we were able to work with somebody else and still make it work. So I felt like we were like double powerful. But um, I didn't collaborate for about eight years. And then Robbie Williams asked me to go and work with him. And I was really, you know, thinking, oh, my God, you know, and he said, bring a guitar up to the house and i thought i don't play guitar much it's all keyboards or you know sounds and um so i studied guitar for like two weeks learned all, <laughs> learned all the donovan songs because <laughs> he said he wanted to do a folk record and so i just studied like a, cra- a crazy man and it shows what you what you pointed out what earlier you that you can under yeah. under pressure yeah. you can just you know i started to play songs to my manager and she's like my goodness i didn't realize where'd that come from yeah, yeah. and yeah. i was you know into it and you had a job to do and it went well you know um it, but i was under stress and i hadn't collaborated for eight years but it was okay and i learned again like it you know it's more about the atmosphere in the room but like brian said i went up to robbie williams house with about uh, 10 pieces prepared and if one didn't work i'd uh, rehearsed myself to play another one and Put then another yeah, and so <clears throat> it kind of depends on who you're working with as yeah. well, doesn't it? I mean, because it does. you know, yeah. c- it's certain a people work thing. a different yeah. way. I mean, I've been, I, I literally have been in 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 a room with somebody that I have nothing in common with, mm-hmm. musically, character wise, and it hasn't worked out. You know, I mean, I, I've had to turn my back on it and say, hey, thanks for turning up, but you know, it yeah. didn't work out. Um, 
you get some people who are really hands-on and they want to control it. You get some people who are uh, kind of hands-on and want you to control it, <laughs> but you know, they want it, they want you to tell them what to do. And you got some people who are really separate. I mean, you know, when I was – well, Martin and I were both working with Bernie Taupin. Bernie would rather have give you a lyric and say, here's the lyric. Go write something, you know. And, you know, you go away yeah. for a week. You come back and <clears throat> very nervously come back and play it to him and say – what do you think of this? <laughs> I changed that word on the, the, the course. Yeah. Is that okay? <laughs> oh, man. And you go, oh, yeah, whatever, you know, yeah. whatever. And, yeah. or, or, you know, like we used to collaborate on the phone with Bernie, right? You, yes. you phone him yeah. up and you say, listen, is there any chance that that course could read <clears throat> something like a little different? I mean, do you want to just like take it away and then call me back, you know? And, you know, you give him some pointers. And you say, no, no, we'll do it on the phone. So he'd do it on the phone. I mean, he was very talented. Yeah. He was very flexible. Yeah. So he would rewrite the chorus or rewrite the verse uh, or take a little bit out or add a little bit on uh, on the fly, you know? And that is another form of collaboration. And uh, it really works, you know? I mean that that is one end of the spectrum. I think you know? for, for for probably for me and Brian at this point, it's about feeling good. Right. You know, in the early years, you've got a mission and you've got to make it work. But uh, you know, I'm I'm going through a big nostalgia period, so you you almost feel like well, this is you know it's a good thing to be sat together right. alive, still yes. able in the same town. It's rare, you know, to be in a band right from you know 30 years ago and still yeah. be living around the corner, yeah. and it just does seem stupid not to go hey you know um i just lost a great friend and and uh, it it hits my heart so yeah. why don't i reach out to my band we also reached out to trevor our old drummer yeah. and, and then you think this is a really rare thing that the band is still together you know we didn't break the wall the doors down as a as a band but we did make an impact and like we're still together we're still alive right. and um loosen up and and jam you know and not take it too seriously right. it's because i'm older where i go like it'd just be nice to be in a room and uh, pick up some instruments and, and play and enjoy it. I think it's a lot to do with we've done our age as right. well, and that, that we feel it, it will be a, a good thing to do for our souls. I know? think you know. I think expectations mm-hmm. is also a, a big part of it. It's like mm-hmm. what, what's your expectation? I mean, mm-hmm. if you're going to be forced to, you're expecting a hit. That that's just that's a lot of you know. I, a lot of I won't ever forget what Brian said to me because <clears> I, I start <throat> I start to organize things and I think if I'm going to write it has to be what are we doing? Is it going to go here? Or is it there? Is this a band thing? Is it this? And and I said to Brian, you know, should we do Q Phil? And, and I said, what is Q Phil? Yeah, and he went, it's rhythm. It's just rhythm, you know. And then I spoke to my manager who was with us in the early years, and she said, you shouldn't nail anything. I mean, you were fair weather page. You were songwriters. You come into a room, you play. Whatever appears, as long as you've got your keyboard there, you've got a tape machine and, you know, your Pro Tools and you make noises. That's quite an interesting and soulful thing for me. And and luckily, I think Brian's a little bit in the same space. Um, So if you nail things down too much. What works a lot is that you and I have very similar tastes. So, you know, we can say the same thing. Martin comes up with something that that is a, a starter. I mean, you got to you can't go in with no no, yeah. no ideas at all. I mean, right. you got to you know you got to yeah. have some starting. Yeah, point, right? somebody a springboard. Exactly, right? yeah. somebody. Yeah. Yeah. So you go in with the, your little springboard idea. Uh, it might not end up being anything like you thought. It might end up being in a good collaboration. Yeah, you know, in in a in a bad collaboration, it'll end up you just holding the reins <laughs> right, and yeah. driving that horse the road that you yeah. can see you know? right and then and why collaborate not, in the first that's place that's not a collaboration exactly yeah. that's not it's a collaboration like why write with somebody if it's just going to be the same thing absolutely which you know yeah. what that is I, I can tell you I, 
I actually have a really great horror story with a collaboration. Oh. I had a friend of mine who wanted to write together, quote unquote, and you know, and I can hold my own with you know programming and some yeah. keys and stuff like that. And it really, what he was looking for was a free backup band. I mean, hmm. literally, every time hmm. I tried to deviate a little bit oh, on boy. the idea, mm-hmm. it was, it was. Mm. No, no, no. Let's do it like this. No, no, no. I've seen that. that so many times. And, and it's like, yeah. hey, listen, bud. I only know four chords. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. He wanted somebody to record his demos, and, right? And it's like you know, and it was really, it was, it was mm-hmm. horrible. It was one yeah. of those things where it's like, you know, we were together for about three hours just to see, and and I just knew it was. It can it just be was horrible. Never going I mean, to happen I think again. Brian's been through. I've been in some collaborations where it's just so painful. You know, you want to pull your teeth out, yeah. and, and you just go, "I've got unprepared, but something's not happening in the room. The air isn't good." And you know, when you collaborate with someone, you've almost got to trust them and yeah. and, mm-hmm. and find out what their strengths are. And it's very psychological. You have to communicate, and you have to have a relationship, and hopefully, everybody's in a good space. Right. You know? Because sometimes you can collaborate and you just go, God, the air's wrong today. The guy's coming. Yes. He's really yes. pissed off. Or yeah. His wife's yes. had an argument. And there, there's I'm really nothing worse work. than yeah. not looking forward to the collaboration. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember working with, I remember Eben Ozen, the, the band Eben Ozen from I the do. 80s. Yeah. Okay. A-E-I-O-U. Yeah. 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 I worked with uh, Robert Rosen. And uh, Robert and I had a, had a real chemistry between us. Mm. And, you know, neither of us, I, I really don't think either of us were excellent musicians. Robert just, he was just very creative yeah. you know mm-hmm. so he would like I'd, I'd play something and he'd bounce something off it and yeah. say how about just you know just do it this way or or just, just change it change the color make it more kind of i don't know blue yeah. you know right and, and it's like what do you mean blue <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. but we would like talk about it and we'd throw ideas out and uh he'd say no no that not that not, not that that rhythm's not quite right let's, right. let's change it a little bit let's change we you know mm-hmm. you play with that like a, a right. it was a roland what was it, a tr Oh, the drum machine? 303, 808, Anyway, that's what it was. <laughs> and, yeah, we just, we just messed with it until it sounded good. And, and that kind of collaboration really worked. And, and it wasn't your, your, your uh, technical uh, sit down at the piano and write a song, but it was yeah. a, a creativity in the room and an and electricity in the room that really worked. A huge thing I want to add there is you've almost got to be really good at letting go as well and accepting yeah, that, exactly, you're, exactly. that you go, okay, this isn't exactly how I see it, but I'm enjoying yeah. that some person's taking this somewhere else and I'm going to go with it. Because if you think about the Beatles and everything, they had to you know, allow John to do his bit and Paul to do his bit. And then I think there's a, a kind of joy when you sort of say oh i'm I'm letting go of this and it's Mm -hmm. gone somewhere else and i might Mm -hmm. not be thrilled with it but we are a band we are collaborating and there's something beautiful about that imagine what the conversations must have been like in the room during the creation of the white album Mm -hmm. when john brought in revolution number nine (laughs) we're the biggest band on earth and you're bringing in that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah. but you know what's cool? Nobody it, wanted to fight John, though. You know, yeah. I think Paul was like, hey, punch me. You know? But if you, if you hear, like, some of the outtakes on some of those sessions when yeah. they're writing and stuff, mm-hmm. that's some of the, that's just some gem moments in there yes, when you yeah, hear right. them talking and trying yeah. to, hey, what do you think about the? Oh, but no, you know, you can hear that on Let It Be. It was tough yeah. and it was yeah. bad. Yeah. Yeah. But you can hear on, you know, the earlier records like Sgt. Pepper and Abbey Road yeah. that, that it was yeah. happening and they were all in that space. But you can hear, actually, talking about collaboration, you can hear on the Let It Be album and some of the White album yeah. that it was monstrously hard and yeah. dark. You know. Hey, hey, Rob. Mm. Rob, do you have any uh, any uh, stories of collaboration, good or bad? 
Well, I mean, in my uh, production company, you know, I met Gary O, who was Stevie's engineer and co-producer. We met in 85 when I joined Stevie. And we, by 1990, we had launched Noisy Neighbors Productions, and Noisy Neighbors still going. Yeah. That's 23 years. Yeah, uh, wow. great. And it's been a great collaboration. We've moved through all different kinds of parts of the industry, and we you know, did lots of records with lots of huge artists uh, besides Stevie, but... Uh, and lots of movie trailers and commercials and video games and all kinds of stuff. The key to our collaboration uh, was that it was never a competition. We didn't really mm-hmm. overlap. Um, you know, I'm I'm the musician. He's the engineer. We're both producers, but we come at it from a different perspective. And I think a lot of times the key to a great collaboration is when there is no competition. I mean, I know there are bands where competition is a healthy fuel uh, that causes a lot more drama than I'd ever be interested in. But uh, the key to our collaboration is that, that there's just no overlap. We're never fighting to get to the same keyboard. We're never fighting over the same fader. Just never, in 23 years, it's never happened once. That's a, yeah. that's a great point. You know, yes. that, that has to do with, with managing your ego, mm-hmm. knowing your skill set, and, and defining your roles, mm-hmm. too. I mean, all those things. And trusting well, the collaborator. Well, it helped. In the, yeah. in the early days for us, it helped because, you know, I was a new kid starting with Stevie, and he already had, like, dozens of Grammys. So it's not like I was going to tell him how to mix it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you know? You're and doing it all wrong. I was not a musician, and I was passionate <laughs> about being a musician. So I would just play a million ideas, and he would say, okay, love it, hate it, hate it, love it, love it, hate it. And it was absolutely the perfect partnership for a production team. I feel so fortunate. I have a person who I've been doing a lot of writing with for years, a guy named Mark Grisky, who's a phenomenal orchestral composer. Um, and so we work together at Disney, and it's great because we get together, and I'm the jazz guy, and he's the orchestral guy. He's the percussionist, and I'm the keyboard player. And so, you know, nine times out of ten, he'll have a track, and he'll say, hey, could you come in and lay some Hammond on this or play some piano on it? And there is something that is so exactly what Rob said. It is so drama free. Right. It is so ego free because yeah. we've been doing it for so long that we don't have anything to prove to anyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes this wonderful, just easy, joyous, comfortable, mm-hmm. I think is the right word for it. Yeah. I mean, probably yeah. like the, the, I got, I got the burnt you out. You see, I, don't, I think Brian probably felt that too, a little bit, you know, we were working so through the eighties, it was, you collaborated and you had to, and, and it was a way of making your songs get on albums that I would write with the artists. And right. some of those songs weren't the greatest songs, but I knew if I wrote with P- Paul Young, he'd want a couple of tracks on the record. So it was good business. But I think I got a little bit burnt out with um, just doing so much of it and having to be so psychological. You know, it was always a bit nerve-wracking. You know, yeah. you're working with so many people um, that I needed a break from it. But there's a certain point when you, you sort of realize that there's a – Sometimes something really special yeah. can happen if, yeah. you, if you're open to it. Again, I come down to the, the vibe of thinking you have to let go of some things and say, well, somebody's adding to this. Even though I might want to dominate it, I've got to let this go and live with it and make, you know, just record it and listen back and go, well, it's a collaboration where it's two people, so we need to be collaborating and things mm-hmm. have to change. Brian and I had a really great flow, you know, uh, in the sense that if a middle eight had to be done you know we we i'd say i've got a beginning chord and brian would say well what about going here or whatever and brian also had, always, always had a great sense of harmony so i would always lean on him for certain things on how uh, on things where i didn't have strengths and right. that is always 
a wonderful thing. And I think you see that in lots of good bands. Yeah. There's usually two people or, or three that work very well together. And um, you've got to let go of your own ego. Yeah. So, so yes. you've got to say I've got something to offer but the other person's in the room so let's right. it's, let's enjoy the process and that person but, has something to offer absolutely too. otherwise and that's artistic maturity yeah, really. yeah. yeah. that's, that's yeah. what it is yeah. you've got to trust that your yeah. collaborator yeah. is going to bring something to the table if, you, if you've got no trust in, in that concept yeah. then there's no point in collaborating with yeah. them. You know? We used to be honest as well. Because oh, yeah. We used to write everything. I mean, if you listen to our early demos, we're writing country songs, funk songs, rock songs. Oh, we were experimenting. All over yeah. the place. We, yeah. were copy- <coughs> we were copying Toto, the tubes, and we were everything. We didn't know where we could we could do anything. But sometimes we'd finish the songs and look at each other and go, that's crap, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, really? We didn't want to work right. on that. Really, <laughs> who are we going to send that to? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's funny. You, you, you know, you, you bring up a good point. Um, with the whole egos and, and the collaboration, you know, sometimes you really don't want to collaborate with somebody. Right. No. Sometimes what yeah. you want yeah. is somebody to come over and just play a part on a song yeah. that you're yes. with. Yes. So I think if you if we you define it, yeah. if you define yeah. your role, then that just really helps with how the whole session or the whole thing is is going to go. In our early days, Brian would write a song like Red Light Zone or Time Waits for No One on the Q Phil record, and I just he just. I just played the bass and he would say here's a few I mean on Red Light Zone Brian had the bass line and I had to learn it and uh, we ha- and, and if I wrote a song you know like Heroes Never Die Brian would come in and, and um, work out the guitar parts but then when it came to the middle eight I can distinctly remember he'd say let's do it like Robert Palmer and he'd, and he'd add something but we used to do sometimes a lot of work you used to do a great it. version of uh, Heroes Never Die on the piano and that I just, can't remember that you oh see, yeah, yeah you did when we were working with Bone Symphony and you played the the song to them. You, you, wow, you, you said, got a memory. Oh man, it, it was great. I mean, you actually just sat down at the piano and you played the whole damn thing, and it was wow. it, it sounded every bit as good to me on the piano and the two of us singing it as it did. Yeah, on the records, we used to do you that. Know? You see, you could just you'd have to sit it in front of a producer yeah. and play the song on the piano, and we'd sing it together. Old and you just sit me with a guitar yeah. and play. Yeah. So these are, re- re- but you know, I couldn't do it now. <laughs> I mean, you have to think <laughs> of that. Those were the days when you really had to, you know, pull it out the air. But right. we were we. I do remember what you were just saying, Mike, as though yeah. I would bring a whole song in and then Brian would... Yeah. We had that same philosophy that anything we wrote was fair with the page. Even mm. if I wrote the whole song, it was fair with the page. And if Brian, if Brian brought a song in and I had nothing to do with it, we'd be, we'd be so honourable to each other, right. like Lennon and McCartney. You know, It was like, a very Lennon and McCartney. Yeah. You could tell, you know, like the Beatles, you know, if Paul sings a song, he wrote it. Right. If John sings a song, he wrote yeah. it. You and know, when we started off, I thought, oh, I wrote this one. Shouldn't it be page fair with it? But I thought... <laughs> Fair with the page sounds better. I got a concede to this. It just sounds better. We even had jackets made up with fair with the page on the back. We used to walk around. Oh, don't with tell it. anybody about yeah, that. Yeah, because we just thought songwriters <laughs> we had college jackets. And everything. Songwriters were everything to us. Hey, you know? I'll tell you, man. Brian, he's a he's a a really good uh, person to collaborate with, but also just to great guitarist. Have his, uh, yeah. yeah, guitarist because oh, you. Remember when you played on a song that I recorded years mm-hmm. ago years with ago was, with yeah. Eric Stromer? Who wow, Eric Stromer is a television personality. Who does a lot of home improvement stuff and things like that. But he sang it, and Brian came over, and I asked him to play guitar, and he ended up doing guitar and the bass, and it was phenomenal. I yeah. mean, the guitar was oh, well, just you. amazing. I was like. Wow. When we played live, Brian used to play some of the bass, you know. But there's a great – I'm just plugging this, Brian. I never knew about this, but there was um, 
There's a song on, you, on YouTube that Brian wrote with Bernie Taupin I'd never heard, a blues song, mm-hmm. and the guitaring on that. I just, it was phenomenal. Oh, well, and you wrote yeah. on there that your heart was in the blues, and mm-hmm. I'd just been trying to go back to that, but I'd never heard that song, Brian, and mm-hmm. the guitaring was, you know, it, I'd tell people to go and listen to that. What's the song called? Cross Yourself. And that's on yeah. YouTube now. It's a beautiful, yeah. beautiful rendition. We wrote it for Buddy Guy. So yeah. it, it was one of those... Um, it's great. It was one of those kind of... Uh, we were working mm. with a, uh, John Porter, the, the producer, and he, he said, we, we're looking for a song for Buddy wow. Guy, and it has to be you know, kind of like down-home blues, yeah. but at the same time, he wants yeah. something that is commercial. You know, So I went to Bernie and asked him if he had a, a lyric, and it was one of those we were talking about where he yeah. just hands like me th- three lyrics and says, go for it, you know, and, <laughs> and that's what came out of it, and wow. it worked out really well. This yeah. brings up, and I, I won't slow us down too much, but one thing that made... Um, our collaborations work and when we weren't writing together while we did so well in LA was we liked every kind of music Mm -hmm. I mean Brian came from a progressive band like Genesis it was you know Oberon and I came from a funk band and yet we were very much into Linda Ronstadt or The Tubes or David Foster or Steely Dan Steely Dan or the Doobie Brothers so good music is good music yeah Yeah, exactly so I do advise collaborators to have a to like a lot of things because when you come in a room with somebody you you have a lot to pull from you have a wishing well you can pull ideas from that was a good you know it, it put us in good stead to work with different people that's fantastic you know we could talk all night on this and we're gonna have to start wrapping this up but but really if you're gonna the thing i take out of this from listening to you guys talk is what amazes me is is that we're on drugs okay that too <laughs> that we're all still alive. That we can still speak while we're on drugs <laughs> no but you know if you're gonna Practice collaborate it's perfect <laughs> if you're gonna collaborate you know it it doesn't hurt to like the person to establish a relationship mm-hmm. outside of that creative just so mm-hmm. you can kind of vibe True that there are people that have been put together and have made some really good stuff, and true that there historically there have been some famous collaborations where they've hated each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if you're gonna have to spend some time or want to spend some time with the person, you know, just be their friend, mm-hmm. you know, and then yeah. check your ego at the door and and make sure your expectations, you know, you both kind of know where you're gonna go. And it sounds like you know if you guys can complement by you know two guitar players. You know, maybe guitar and a keyboard player or something like that. Kind of both bring something. You've got to be pliable. Yeah. You've got to be able to to, um, to bend. And exactly, swirl with to yeah. bend. Mm-hmm. And then you'll avoid uh, some of the really horrible, horrible collaboration Which pitfalls yeah. that yeah. are mm-hmm. out there. But um, all right, well, we're going to be wrapping it up. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for the invite. I really enjoyed it, as usual. Oh, it's great. Hey, we'll bring you back. And Nick, it was great to hear all about I, I learned new stuff about you every single time. Well, thanks, Last time Mike. it was Grim Fandango, <laughs> and this time it's it's the B3. Yeah, well, what can I tell you? You know, we all have a lot of layers. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was great that you're here. And um, Rob, it's good that you, uh, you joined us today. You doing anything fun and exciting you can talk about? I was glad I was able to make it remotely. Uh, yeah, I'm working on this awesome project, this music project in Austin, which uh, I will soon talk about details about, but it's not out yet, so it uh, doesn't do any good to talk about it because there's nothing for you to see or hear yet. Uh, my side project, or it's not really a side project, it's like my second full-time career. Uh, a lot of people know I'm, I'm uh, working with this software company. We created a shopping technology, which is now open to the public, uh, and you can check it out. The first the first version of the technology is in use at a store called droptillyoushop.com. <laughs> and it's just a whole new take on online shopping. And 
at the time this airs, I'm not sure how often the store will be open. Right now it's open 12 hours a day, uh, and eventually it'll get to 24-7, but it's just a very unique take on shopping where the prices drop constantly. It's a project I started a few years ago as sort of an excuse to learn web programming, and now we're a fully funded company based in New York, and things are going insanely well with it. So uh, nothing to do with music, but definitely something fun. Uh, and I'm, I'm basically walking the line 50-50 between this software industry and, and music. And it makes sense for me anyway because I was always involved in the technology side of music too and uh, developing software. So yeah. it is a good fit. It's just be nervous when you commit to two 80-hour-a-week careers because <laughs> at some point – Something has to give a little bit. And right now, that's why I'm not there, because I'm exhausted. <laughs> it's going very, very well. And at this point, everybody should check out Drop to Your Shop. It's really cool. Awesome. All right, bro. And you're just a brilliant guy. All that brilliance just can't stay in one career there, Rob. Okay? <laughs> okay, we'll use that as the excuse. I have fun with that. <laughs> uh, Page Boy, how about you? I know uh, you're, you're, you're a writing fiend. Yeah, right I'm now. roaring at it. It's, it's been an amazing time. I'm working on a, a, a lot of fronts at once and um, balancing them out. But, um, you know, I'm still writing the, the, uh, the book I'm doing about, all the, all, all, about collaboration and right. all the songs and um, developing the little room next door, which, right. um, you know, I want to collaborate in and make a, a relaxing room. I'm, I'm doing that around. But first, I'm finishing up a bunch of songs. Um, that seem to be leading into, uh, dare I say, it, another another record. Yep. So I'm um, I'm finishing a bunch of songs that are actually pointing towards another record. And, nice. And I'd like to finish that by Christmas. And then I I've got a couple of little other projects that you know about, yep. which are sort of auto egos, which I'm working on. It's all good. Yeah. So it's all I'm, good I'm stuff. getting that done, and then I I hope that I can you know sit in a room with Brian and have some fun. Yeah, that's Sounds right. Good to me. You guys are yeah. going to be right, Brian. You're looking Sounds forward to that. To Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Which is good because you're such a you're such, your musical ideas were always pretty oh, amazing. So yeah. I will say that it's I'm good. actually getting together in a, a little blues band. Are you really? Yeah, yeah you were playing live recently. Yeah, yeah. and uh, we're uh, we're in rehearsal stage right now. Nice. But, uh, well, yeah. you got to let me know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I'll come down to see that. Yeah, yeah, we'll come yeah. and see you. I mean, most people, when they say that, won't actually come down and see oh, you. I will. But, but you I would. Will. <laughs> most <laughs> people say that because they just it's just the thing to say. Yeah, you know? right, they have yeah. no intention of going. I, oh, yeah, send I'll me do that. Date. No one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I will actually come and see you. Cool. And Nick, right. we know about your CD on CD Baby mm-hmm. with, your, with your music stuff. So That was a while back. I've been working on a bunch of iPad apps. With cool. Disney, just uh, released the Planes one, which didn't, went really well in the App Great. Store and a couple of other Why? things. And I'm very excited about the fact that uh, I'm back writing for Electronic Musician Magazine. Again. Really? Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. I wrote for them for about 10 years, tons of reviews and cover articles on all sorts of different That's topics. Awesome. Mm. And then I didn't do it for a couple of years. You know so. what? I, I owe my career to keyboard and Electronic Musician Magazine. Oh, me magazine. too. Absolutely. Totally. I mean, I literally mm. learned. By those magazines. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I would not be on the. I would not have gotten my first keyboard gig. It yeah. was. I can honestly say they were responsible. That and Guitar Center for being able to try out the gear yeah. yes. that I read about. It's mm-hmm. like that's how we did it back then. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's cool. That's all great and dandy. Yeah. Um, and what about you? What are you up to? Uh, the big thing for me is uh, about six months ago, maybe eight months ago, on the podcast, I talked about. Um, 
this project that I was involved with called kidsleep.com children's stories mm-hmm. um, where it's basically 15 20 minutes of stories and then 15 20 minutes of music um, the website's finally going to launch congratulations, <laughs> congratulations. so it's really fun it's just you know it's something it's a digital download it's going to it gives a parent about 45 minutes to an hour of time that's what we're selling we're selling time where they can Put this on their phone or the iPad and just play it, and it's going to be a little story. And then afterwards, a little music, and hopefully the kid falls asleep by the by the mm-hmm. time you're done with the music. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, we'll see how it goes. It's fun. It's it's think of it as like a radio play where you know we have I've heard voices some of it. it's and great. sound yeah. effects and and really great. Um, Music. Um, so it's you, done you played by me a bit, and I dropped off. I'm gonna <laughs> I was going to say, man, <laughs> maybe I'll Actually, use it to get to sleep. You know, <laughs> Brian Mann, who's been on our podcast, he he did the uh, the music for it, and he scored like you know the yeah, leapfrog stuff. Yeah. He's done a bunch of animation, and mm-hmm. it's just it's really good. He did a great job on that. So um, yeah, so we'll see how it goes. I'll be happy Fantastic. to beta test it for you. That'll be a lot better than me at ten thirty at night with my three year old, absolutely crying and gnashing my teeth yeah. and saying, "Go to sleep for God's sake." Ah. Might be a little yeah. bit more peaceful than that. I'll tell you, boy. On another podcast, I'm gonna, we'll talk about you know bringing something to market on your own because. What took so long was actually the whole website version of the whole thing. Oh, yeah. And, and just finding the right collaborators and, and just the right way to do it. And, and, you know, nowadays you have so many options. And, and it was a whole, you know, just a committee of people. You know, I wasn't by myself. There's other people that I yeah. had to be accountable for. And, and, you know, sometimes you just want to scale it all down yeah. to the simplest thing. Mm-hmm. You know, let's just do this. And then we'll go from there. And yeah, that's exactly yeah. – it wasn't until I made that decision for yeah. everybody. Simplify it's like, I've tried yeah. your way. Now let's, let's – here's what we're going to do. And it all, it all worked. Through, it, and it was nobody's fault. It was just the way yeah. the whole process was and, and getting a lot of – talk about collaboration. Collaboration on creative things is one thing, but collaboration on business matters mm. is a whole different ballgame. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? There is an art and, to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, listen, if you guys have any uh, comments and questions, you can always reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Um, we did give away the API product, and I do know that um, it was sent out, and I can't wait to hear to see how they're using it. Um, and also, Andrew, you're in England. We're going to get you the book. Trust me, but you're in England. <laughs> so it's going to take a bit. To it might be there. a PDF. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's a signed book from, from Bobby O. Um, I appreciate all your letters that you're still sending in. You guys are really saying some really kind stuff, and we totally appreciate it. And just know that we read everything. Even if I can't um, reply to everybody, we read it all. And I usually share a ton of it with all the guys. So we really appreciate that. Um, and shouldn't we thank the guy in the back room who's doing the Oh, yeah, my friend tonight? Pat is is back there. And thank you, Pat. Good job, he's, Pat. Yeah. He's, Still awake, Pat? Pat, you, wake you up. You notice this? Hey, really quick. You realize... <laughs> I heard him laugh. Jeremy, Jeremy is not with us today. That's right. But we've had no technical problems. That's so, a good ooh. point. <laughs> That's what does that say? Point. Coincidence? I don't know. I think not. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, guys. Uh, for all of us, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Westwave Audio. 
The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and uses Aphex's 230 Master Channel Voice Processor. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.